My name is Shana Hertzfeld, and I am a student project manager for the Clark Forum for Contemporary D Issues at Dickinson College. I'm here today interviewing Dr. Psyche Williams-Forson, who is an expert in the field of Black Food Studies. She's written many books and articles on this subject, including the award-winning Eating While Black, Food Shaming and Race in America. Today, we will talk to Dr. Williams-Forson's pioneering work in this field, including the process of writing Eating While Black and her approach to her scholarship. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So just to start off, I, I know that you are pioneering in the field, like I said before. Mm -hmm. I was curious how your own experiences have affected your work and getting into the field of food studies. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that's something that would you know go into it. Yeah, great. Well, when I was in graduate school, I started in the early 90s, and it was a what we call a watershed moment, right? It was a time where one of your other Clark Forum uh, visitors, uh, Patricia Hill Collins, um, and others were writing in earnest about black feminist work. And so it was an exciting time to be in graduate school. That fall, the uh, Clarence Thomas and Nita Hill uh, encounter occurred, Black Women in Defense of Our Name, which was a national conference of black women um, speaking back to an 1860, early 20th century remark by a white man who said black women have no worth and value, so black women, especially uh, scholars, came together. So it was a very exciting time. Yeah. I started really studying African-American material culture, okay? And material culture is the study of material, the material world. So I'm interested in the ways in which black people engage objects, right? So food happened to be the medium at mm -hmm. that time, partly because I was a research assistant for a professor who was working on Jewish foodways, oh, and okay. I had never heard of the term foodways. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, hey, I wonder if black people <laughs> have this thing, or do we know anything? Mm -hmm. And so when back then you didn't have Google, you know, right. you had the internet. So I, I interneted, if you will, um, <laughs> black people in food, and 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 I, a lot of different cookbooks came out. Just the work of Jessica Harris, who's another pioneer in black food studies, and and several other uh, mostly cookbook authors, right? And so that was great because I was fascinated that there was a repetition of foods. What I didn't see is why, right? And why were black people associated with these foods? So that really is how I entered this conversation. Um, and so at the time that I wrote, one only one other book had been written um, by a colleague named Doris Witt, who wrote the book Black Hunger. And she wrote from a literary point of view. What I was curious about is hearing from black women in mm -hmm. particular, um, who by and large, women and men, but I was mostly interested in black women's experiences with food. And so really that's how I came to this topic. I went back online and, and did another search and eBay mm -hmm. produced a number of different images of black people with chicken and watermelon. And I found that very fascinating because mm. I was familiar with black memorabilia, right? I don't know if you know black memorabilia. 
but things like mammy statues and salt and pepper shakers and Aunt Jemima, that, that's considered black memorabilia mm -hmm. because it's from a particular historical time period and a lot of people collect those items. Um, and so I collected a lot of what we call ephemera, mm -hmm. so um, sheet music, postcards, greeting cards mm -hmm. that had all of these images of black folks on it. Mm -hmm. So really that's how I entered the conversation around black food and then I've just continued since yeah. then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in continuing with the kind of vein of reflective questions, the title for the talk tonight mm -hmm. is Bearing Witness to Myself mm -hmm. and then Womanist Blackness, Fatness, Wholeness, and the Twisted Work of Trauma. Mm -hmm. and I'm curious how the title kind of also came, um, came to came to be and mm -hmm. also there's that the, the key phrase, bearing witness to myself, so how mm -hmm. your experiences have kind of fed into that. Right. Yeah, you know, that's that's very interesting, and I'll talk a little bit about that, obviously, tonight. Mm -hmm. I'll unpack it more, but when we bear witness, we are testifying, mm -hmm. right? And generally, we testify for audiences, whether it's in the house of worship, if it's to friends, family, what have you. I don't know that we often think about bearing witness to ourselves, mm -hmm. being honest with ourselves about how we're feeling, how we are representing ourselves in the world. Are we comfortable in that, mm -hmm. right? Are we absorbing what society tells us we should look, look like? Um, and then doing, you know, so much of what's happening right now, and, and I'll mention this again tonight, I feel like we're in a food hysteria, mm -hmm. right? You've got a million labels. Everyone has to claim some sort of label, you know. Why, mm -hmm. right? And so when you bear witness to yourself, you're just okay mm -hmm. with yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't have to wear a label. Yeah. You don't have to be a vegetarian, a pescatarian, a breatharian, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. You simply are. Um, and you move about the world in ways that enable you to feel comfortable engaging conflict and engaging ascension depending upon who your audiences are mm -hmm. or regardless of who your audiences are so in talking about audiences it's kind mm -hmm. of a provide a nice transition just like shifting gears a little bit to the book which i, I believe you'll be talking a little mm -hmm. bit about tonight mm -hmm. i was curious who the audience was when you wrote that mm -hmm. and if, if it's changed over time i don't know if the reception has been different than either what you expected or if right. that's changed at all. That's a great question. The audiences are mixed. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when you're writing, you think a lot about audience. Partly I'm, I'm writing to black audiences to say, don't let folks shame your food cultures. But to do that, you have to be aware of your food culture. I mean, mm -hmm. the very multiplicitous narratives. Right now, most African Americans adhere to a single story, and I'll talk more about that tonight. We have a single narrative. Our food waste comes from scraps. We all ate thus and so during enslavement, and you know our grandmothers and foremothers and forefathers made do, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm, not exactly true, but that's the narrative we have been fed through from society, right? Mm -hmm. Oh. Soul food is bad. I mean, you know, I'll see some slides about that tonight. Soul food is bad. Black folks just ate scrap. That's not true. Mm -hmm. Slavery lasted 300 years plus, right? The, the, the institution of enslavement. 
black folks were enslaved from what we considered the south really to the north, as far north as New Jersey and even further. No, we weren't all eating the same thing. And so we have to be very clear about what happens when you don't know your history, mm. right? So there's that audience. Then there's the audience uh, beyond white folks, and that will include everyone else who has heard these narratives and either have taken them and run with them and created their own falsehoods or and use them to think that black folks need to be surveilled and mm -hmm. policed mm -hmm. and more importantly that we need to be saved because we're doomed in some way if we continue to eat the foods that are largely eaten in the south writ large so there are multiple audiences mm -hmm. right and and not just racially but age-wise there's things in there for young people there's things in there for farmers, there's uh, information for community organizers, you know, so there's a plethora of, you know, nutritionists, there's a, there are a plethora of audiences that I was engaging. I think, it's, I'm, so I'm a history major, mm -hmm. and always, always talk about the importance of, like, knowing your history, so I think in there being such a varied audience mm -hmm. base, I guess, mm -hmm. it makes sense, the, mm -hmm. the history piece is good for everybody. It is know. good for everybody, and, you know, from a historical point of view, you know, it's the engagement of numerous rich sources. You know, I'm an American Studies, I'm in the American Studies Department, and, and that was by design and intention because I have a literary background, okay? The first time I heard that I was a culinary historian was after my first book, Building Houses Out of Chicken Legs, which, by the way, that's the book that actually is award-winning. But thank you for oh. prophesying, because maybe the second one will win I, I hope so. But, you know, um, but I engage the same sources that historians engage, and, you know, more and more we try to convince historians who actually look at material culture but don't want to claim material culture mm -hmm. of its value, right? right? Because, you know, they say, well, you know, material objects don't speak, but they do, mm -hmm. especially when you place them in the historical context, right? And so I, that's one of the reasons I love American studies, because I can contextualize it. I can go in the direction of sexuality, I can go in race and class and so many different contexts that I can bring and I feel like you must bring right. to the material world. Right? Yeah. So when I'm in the archives and I'm looking at textual evidence, you know, I, I sort of take a step back and say, okay, what else is happening that, that precipitates this, right? Or or that these, this particular occurrence is taking, you know, in, in which this particular occurrence is taking place. What is happening in the world, right? And it, and it begs for, I think, a broader read. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So maybe, maybe that will be your answer, but <laughs> what is the most, what did you enjoy the most, I guess, in, in writing the book? What was the most joyful Oh, part? this book was painful to write, and I'll tell you why, because it, it, it's, it came on the heels of my first book because I had been traveling around the world um, and, and had the uh, honor and pleasure of, of speaking about building houses at a time when there was rapid transition taking place in our society around food. So what do I mean by that? Dollar stores were starting to get refrigeration. Mm -hmm. Lots more folks were talking about farmers markets. Uh, 
local food movements were coming into play, the local war challenge was underway. So you're having all of this rhetoric, right, about organic eating and so So it was a massive change right. happening. And I was giving these talks about my first book, but people wanted to talk about these other new issues happening. And what I found was, while I was receptive, I found that there was a lot of moralizing going on, right? right? This whole notion of eating clean mm -hmm. and this is what healthy is, mm -hmm. you know? And so part of the reason it was painful is because I had these five or so talks that I was giving. And when I came together and said, how do I need to put this together in a, in a message? How do I do that? You know, because what I'm, and, and what it ended up coming down to is there were particular examples I really wanted people to be aware of, mm -hmm. right? And so I started with the example versus starting with the theme. And as in starting with the example, I was able to say these are the pertinent issues that I think are really important. So the the, the most fun part was it being done. Yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. be honest with you, right? Yeah. Um, that's the most fun part. So... So yeah, so that was that was that was the best thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure anytime you finish a a work it's enjoyable. That's the best part, you best know. Feeling. Yeah. So you use a variety of media, either in examples or in the beginning mm -hmm. pieces. I was curious how you picked those. Either why you chose to include the media and then also how the pieces that you picked specifically, why why those ones? Okay. There were, like I said, very specific examples that I knew I wanted to use. So, for example, in Chapter 4, I think, I wanted to talk about uh, Latricia Avery, who I'll talk about tonight. She's mm -hmm. a, a middle school student. Um, I knew I wanted to talk about Hurricane Katrina, Right, because I recall that when Katrina happened, there wasn't enough talk about the food for me. Right, mm -hmm. I knew that I had had an in, in, um, an encounter at a um, at a museum up in Philadelphia, and I mm -hmm. wanted to talk about it. And then this interesting, curious thing happened to I think in 2019 on the DC Metro line, mm -hmm. and that's how I start the yeah. book. And so some of obviously some of them sort of fell into my lap. Um, also, I had started an article many years ago when I wrote my second book around these changes that were happening in dollar stores, mm -hmm. and so I really wanted to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So again, when I focused on those things, I began to get a through line, mm -hmm. and part of the through line to me had to also do with policing and surveilling of black bodies, mm -hmm. black people's bodies, black people's bodies. And I began to read a lot of these occurrences as anti-racial as anti-racial blackness, right? And so in reading it in those ways, I found that yeah, that made a lot of sense to me, mm -hmm. that w part of this was an agenda, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I focused in on the examples, you know. 
because they are part of a larger narrative mm -hmm. of black surveillance. For example, and we've all heard about it, the woman at the park out in L.A. who called the police on mm -hmm. folks barbecuing, mm -hmm. the young men who were in the Starbucks in Philadelphia who had the police, you know, folks getting their groceries in. So basically living while black, mm -hmm. you know, which is pervasive. And, and then, of course, we had all of the incidents that occurred with, with around the summer of 2020 with, you know, the murder of George Floyd. That was the sort of pinnacle, but this stuff has been going on for a long time. And so it wasn't so much a convenient trope as it is, huh, it even happens in food. Right. Yeah, and mm -hmm. we can easily overlook it because we think, it's, oh, it's only in police violence and all. No, 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 it happens also in, in and with food, in what we sometimes want to call microaggressions, but aggressions nonetheless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think, yeah, now you're saying the, the media piece through line is showing the pervasiveness of the aggressions against surveillance of black bodies. So. Right. 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 So yeah. that's, and I wanted people to see how this thing that we normalize every day, eating, mm -hmm. is also fraught with political and racial tension. Because we would like to always, um, you know, only celebrate foods, mm -hmm. you know. So I wanted to be clear that while that's important, we also have to be critical of those moments and right. not allow our desire simply to celebrate, to right. overlook the very insidious nature and the power issues that really do surround food and food consumption. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things like, oh, you know, Southern diets are bad. But Mediterranean diets are good. Mm -hmm. Any diet can be bad, depending right. upon how you how you consume it, mm -hmm. right? For example, keto or paleo or any, mm -hmm. you know, those, you know, not everyone can consume every kind of diet, and right. that's between you and your physician, mm -hmm. quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and even in those instances, you have to check your physician, mm -hmm. right? Because we know that sometimes they will not diagnose, misdiagnose, whatever. And so you have to be very adamant in your own, on your own behalf um, and say, no, there's something going on here. You know, I'm lactose intolerant right. or what have you. Yeah. You live with your body every day. Right. Um, and while we, we, we appreciate folks because of their medical expertise, you are the expert in your own body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Switching gears a little bit. Sure. So I know you've been featured in documentaries and TV shows, including the reason I'm asking is because Ugly Delicious. So oh, yeah. One of my, my, my <laughs> sister's favorite, favorite shows. Oh, is but, it? Yeah. So I saw that you were, you were on that, and I was like, oh, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... I was curious because you engage with that form of media, but also books mm -hmm. and scholarly mm -hmm. articles. Mm -hmm. And I was curious how you're pre presenting perhaps the same key information, mm -hmm. but I would imagine that the presentation changes depending oh, yeah. on that. And I was curious if you talk a little bit about how it changes. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that's another great question. You know, audience is, again, very important, mm -hmm. right? And And my goal always is to make really dense issues accessible. So I'll be honest with you, when I wrote Building Houses was my doctoral thesis, mm -hmm. and it was important to me in that that my mom, 
be able to see herself mm -hmm. and understand what I was writing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's a certain way in which the act, the, the academy requires, you know, certain types of engagement and that's fine. And, 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 you know, and, and I didn't write anything from, to be academic. Right. I wrote it because I felt like it had importance and resonance for her life, for my life. Mm -hmm. It helped me to make sense in my life. So when I write, I tend to write thinking my first goal is to ensure that my family mm -hmm. of non-academics mm -hmm. can understand what I'm writing. Because if I'm too highfalutin, then mm -hmm. I've missed the boat there because mm -hmm. I want to be in conversation with. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in lecturing too. I don't even lecture in the classes that I teach. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, when I teach, I... I like to be in conversation, yeah. you know, I like for us to all exchange ideas because, you know, in many ways, we're all scholars. We're scholars of our own lives. This goes mm -hmm. back to what I was just saying about, you know, your body best. Mm -hmm. um, so we're scholars in and of our own lives. And so it's important that I not behave as if, yes, I've spent an, a gobs of money to <laughs> obtain the degrees that I have. But I'm very clear about my life experiences and my research are informed by, by the world and mm -hmm. they're informed by the people in my world, most of whom have been black women, but also black men. And mm -hmm. as, as Alice Walker says with her definition of womanness, mm -hmm. she says, womanism is to feminism as lavender is to purple. Mm -hmm. Right? It's a form of, it's a color of, and one of the most important things she says is I don't separate myself from black men except for reasons of health. Mm -hmm. So having said that, as, as well as uh, Anna Julia Cooper writing at the turn of last century, who says, when and where I enter, the whole world enters with me, mm -hmm. right? So black women have to be clear about where we enter. I don't need um, a bully pulpit. I don't need um, a hammer when what we'll really do is simply a pencil mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, for us to have a conversation about our lives and about the ways in which our lives are dynamic, are creative, are innovative, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and I want folks to be proud of, of our black heritages mm -hmm. other than and beyond Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks because we're going to get that every, you know, February during these 28 days. I want us to know that in our everydayness, we were inventors, we were innovators, we were entrepreneurs, we were creators, we were resilient, um, because we were. We built the food waves of this country, you know, on multiple levels and in multiple ways. And anything less than that is just unacceptable to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I think the, the piece of conversation is really meaningful and learning from the world Absolutely. around you. Yeah. What else are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm asking people to open up their their lives to me. When I go into the WPA narratives or I look at a cache of photographs from the National Archives or the mm -hmm. Library of Congress, mm -hmm. I'm asking them to speak to me about your life, mm -hmm. whether it's coal miners in West Virginia or, you know, a roadside stand in Alabama, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be voyeuristic. I'm trying to understand because your life is different from mine, but we're both black. 
right? And so I'm asking you, what was it like to be a coal miner in West Virginia <clears throat> in the 1930s and be the only family who had running water, mm -hmm. you know? You know, what was it like to have, to be in this family with 12 kids and have a smokehouse, you know? Mm -hmm. Those are curio curiosities yeah. that I love, yeah. right? And I want to probe more, mm -hmm. you know? And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we don't ask those questions in ways that are curious and humbling and also appreciative of mm -hmm. the ways in which these folks inform our scholarship. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So I think we're just about out of time. So mm -hmm. I would like to ask if there is anything you feel like we didn't cover today that you want to add. I don't. I think that uh, these are really good questions. Okay, thank yeah, you. these have been very good questions. And I think it's important for us to... I'll leave folks with this. Mm -hmm. Foods tell stories, right? Oftentimes they're speaking very loudly and we're not listening, right? The other thing I, I like for folks to know is that in the list of things that black folks are dying from in this country, food is not necessarily at the top of the list. Food gets, we act like food is at the top of the list. You know, hypertension, obesity, diabetes, well, those are contributing factors also. Some of that is genetics, some of that is generational. We're also dying from trauma, generations of trauma. When you've had generations of, of your family enslaved, only to come out and struggle mightily, yeah, you're going to have some mm -hmm. generational traumas, right? And those things can give rise to what we want to characterize as your health is bad. Yeah, it is bad. Hell yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing my mind every day, you know? You know, we coined this, this term not long ago called microaggressions, and I'm of the mind that no aggression is micro mm -hmm. because if it's an aggression, then it's affecting my whole body. It doesn't just affect my emotion, it affects my mind, it affects my physical body because I'm walking around now with that layer of stress and trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Food may contribute, but food is not at the top of that list. But when we focus on the food, we can take our minds off of the systemic inequalities, right? Mm -hmm. And the systemic problems that keep me with high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, which yeah. may or may not be because I eat turkey and my greens, right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But what but what is affecting me is when I go to work every day and I've got to deal with people who are racializing and sexualizing and genderizing me, mm -hmm. right, in class, you know, putting me in class boxes. So, you know, I try to encourage people to think broadly mm -hmm. and beyond the narrative that you're hearing because that's the one that's familiar mm -hmm. and it's easy. Mm -hmm. But it's way harder to look at the situation. And you don't have to walk around saying, oh, everything is race, race, race. No, but you do have to be aware that we live in a racialized society. And mm -hmm. so it's hard at times not to, well, that's a lot of mental gymnastics because now I've got to figure out, are you saying this to me because I'm X? Or are you saying it to me because of Y? That's a lot of daily work that has to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the space in which black folks live. Mm -hmm. And yet, to leave us on a positive note, it is my contention that understanding that black folks can enjoy the foods that have always sustained us 
that have contributed to this country's diet, that's called black joy. And the more we engage in black joy, the more we'll be liberated. Well, that's a fantastic way to end. Thank that's you so much. You're Perfect. very welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. And My I, pleasure. Yeah, and I look forward to listening to, to what you have to say tonight. Thank as well. you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm yes. excited. Thank you for those questions. They yes. were very rich.